0: Well, the prayer has already been answered. We sang this psalm, the opening hymn, number 635, How Good It Is to Thank the Lord, is a metrical rendition of this particular psalm. Some of the verses in the middle, because there wasn't enough room on the page, but it's set to, to meter and rhyme and rhythm, and, and it's something that is sung in the church today rightly, even it has been, as it has been down through the ages. But this psalm has that little heading on it. In the original Masoretic Hebrew text, it has that little heading which sets it apart from all the other psalms. Yes, it is a psalm, but it is a song for the Sabbath. Now, this lets us know that we have to handle uh, this text very carefully because uh, there is internal evidence, therefore, that, that you can't say the church is supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as if those are three completely disparate categories and they don't have anything to do with each other because this is a psalm. It's in the Psalter. It says it's a psalm in the original and it also says it's a song. So it covers two of the categories. There, there's some overlapping. There's some um, expansion of thinking as these broad Pauline terms are used. Song, psalm and hymn and spiritual song. But this adds the word song. For the Sabbath. And so we come with an expectation that there is a blessing for us here if we remember the Lord's day. We know from the foundation of the world when God created out of nothing all that there is that he set the last day of the week is the one on which we were to rest because he himself rested. He, he did his work in six days and then he ceased from his labor and he rested from that work of creation. And so that was a pattern that he took, not because he was constrained to by some deficiency in himself, but it's something that he did as a blessing for us. That pattern was followed so that we ourselves might have a rhythm of six and one. And then at the time of the resurrection, the whole world turned. All of creation was transformed, as it were. And so it became a rhythm of one and six. The Lord's Day, the day of His resurrection, is the continuing Christian Sabbath. That's the day on which Jesus... Uh, In His resurrection appearances, post-resurrection appeared to the disciples and they worshiped together. And so this psalm is one in which we think about Old Testament Sabbath observance, observance and about New Testament Christian Sabbath fulfillment as well, as well as heaven beyond. For indeed all of our Sabbaths, as believers now, especially in the time between the times of His first and second coming, that of our Lord Jesus... Make us look and long for heaven and to be in the rest of our God. did you get a nap this afternoon you know, i got a I got a nap, and then, in the middle of a nice and sweet dream, my world was shattered by the ringing of the doorbell and so when I got up and shook the Mist out of my eyes, I came out and I said to my wife, Who was that demon sent by Satan himself to disturb my sweet Sabbath rest? And my wife smiled and she said, A Girl Scout selling cookies. (laughs) My point is simply this. We do well to fully embrace all that God's Word teaches and, and to embrace especially tonight, the fact that God commands us to worship Him on Sabbath. He sets Sabbath apart for His good and spiritual purpose in our life. So you've done well to come back into His house tonight. But yet at the same time, we recognize that we live in an era of gospel dispensation and kindness and mercy. And so we, we seek not to pull out the sword, and cut the head off of all who perhaps don't observe in the way that we think they should. Many years ago, I was a seminarian sitting in my apartment on a Sunday afternoon, and the telephone rang, and when I picked it up, before I heard a voice on the other end, I knew that something very special, uh, a very special phone call had come. You know, it had this kind of crackly sound to it. Uh, It sounded very, very far away, and and I answered, and I said, hello. And on the other end was my good friend, Ligan Duncan, who's now the Chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary. He said, Dunk. I said, "Lig, how are you? He said, oh, I've just had the best experience of my life. I said, what's that? He said, well, I just got back from worshiping at St. Columbus Free Church in Edinburgh. I said, oh, was the sermon good? He said, yes, he said. But what happened after church was even better. I said, what was that? And he said, well, I, I was coming down out of the balcony and I was, I was whistling a psalm tune, and, and this hand came upon my shoulder from behind. And there was this deep and serious voice that said, Mr. Duncan, we nary whistle on the Sabbath. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I got rebuked for whistling a psalm tune. It's wonderful. <laughs> a song for the Sabbath. And it's not surprising that that introduction is given. Listen to the opening verses. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to Your name, O Most High, to declare Your steadfast love in the morning and Your faithfulness by night. The Jewish Mishnah, says that this particular psalm was sung by the Levites in the temple, that it was written for their service there, and that as they went about their priestly duties, this was a song that they would have sung on the Jewish Sabbath to the praise of God. In the Eastern Christian tradition, they make much of the first part of verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. And so Eastern tradition has concluded that this was sung every morning in God's worship with the morning sacrifice. And so it should be sung in the church in the morning. That's the time to sing it in morning worship. And they have an entire complex theological tradition which is built up around this idea. Of course, the weakness of Orthodoxy at that point is that they don't read the second part of the verse, which is, To your faithful and your faithfulness by night. The timing that they have chosen to pay attention to is a little more arbitrary than they might admit. The same could be said of evening sacrifice, but the point is simply this that the meaning of the psalm, and therefore its usefulness in your life, is not locked in patterns of habit or tradition. The inspired text must be taken on its own basis. God has given it through His prophet of old. And so the movement of thought and its rhyme and rhythm must be sought and grasped by us prayerfully if its blessing would be had in your life and heart. And so, let us listen to this Sabbath song, and let us seek to be warmed by the voice even of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sang this psalm as well. The opening four verses are a a wonderful and stirring affirmation of singing praise to God for His covenant love. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Now verse 1 teaches us that singing praise is a good way to give thanks to God. And it's an important element in Christian worship. You know, singing in church is something that I think we take for granted. We're used to doing it. We're used to singing and and lifting our voices and and giving praise to God. But you know, throughout our life, in in the curve in which we go through, in the life that is laid out for us, there are times at either end where we can't sing or we're not able to sing, or don't know to sing. And so while we have season in which to do it, listen to the psalmist, listen to the Lord's instruction. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to His name. The basic elements of worship He has set, the reading of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, the praying of God's Word, the seeing of God's Word in the sacraments, and also the singing of God's Word. We sing the Word, and the Lord has designed these basic elements in order to have His Word deeply embedded in heart and life. Part of the blessing of this psalm for you, in your heart and in your life, is for you to recognize that when we we pick selections to sing, when we sing together, or even when you make melody in your heart, driving down the road or by what you listen to, as you're praising the Lord by song, what he's doing is he's driving deeply into your very core of being the blessings and benefits of his word. When puppy, uh, when little dog is not well, sometimes the veterinarian prescribes pills. Pills large enough for a horse, it would seem. And little dog has to eat them. Now we have one of two things we can do. We can break or chop them up into smaller pieces and see if we can't coax the dog to take them down. But you know, that multiplies the uh, the number of times in which the dog can just look at you and say no and frustrate your endeavor. The, the more simple and straightforward and effective method is to reach for the peanut butter jar and put a... F- Put a little swath of that on the pill, and without hesitation, the dog swallows it whole and it goes all the way down. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, we say. And a little singing, the word in song, sweet upon the heart and life of the believer, indeed it is. Watch what you sing. Watch what you sing. Have I told you that uh, years ago, uh, some years ago, actually not that long ago, when I discovered uh, this internet phenomenon called Pandora, I think it was Pastor Greco who introduced me to it, uh, you know, you can sit there and work on things, and, and it will play wonderful things in the background, and well, some of them are wonderful. Uh, one time, my son, Arthur John, who's off at college for two years, so it's been a couple of years, he... Uh, he was in the neighboring room uh, here at the church doing something and and he and he took me aside and he said, "Daddy, have you ever paid attention to the words of some of this music that was playing through your computer?" And I said, "Well, you know, no, it just uh it popped up and asked me if I wanted to hear something from the '70s, and so I, I clicked it, and uh, he looked at me and said, "Dad, you just you don't want to listen to that it's true what we hear." What we sing. What you tap your toe to makes a difference in your life. You know, I've had uh, some folks tell me, and I think it's true, that, that if you really want to know what's happening in American culture, then just go listen to country music. Isn't that true? Uh, Willie and Waylon and the boys, and they will tell you exactly what is going on in the mind and heart and culture, public and private of the world, and you know that's helpful, but that doesn't mean you need to listen to all that stuff so much. I guess on the other extreme was a uh, a Christian subculture group. Uh, I was driving, I was driving away from Clemson to go see my future wife at Furman, forty-five minute drive, fastest drive in, uh, uh, that I ever made in my car, pedal to the metal the whole way, and I passed a bus headed to. A certain Christian university, and as I was riding down the road uh, i can 't remember what I was listening to, but uh, 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 they had the bus the lights on in the bus, and there was someone standing at the front of the bus. It was an old painted school bus and and a guy in a uh, uh, in a coat and in a tie, and he was uh, He was beating the rhythm for everyone to sing. They were obviously singing hymns i 'm not saying that you have to sing hymns uh, uh old hymns as you go down the road. Uh, Uh, Traveling from one place to another. But watch what you sing. Watch what you put in your heart. Treasure your God. Singing praise is a good way to give thanks to the Lord. And it's a basic element of Christian worship. He's appointed. And when when we're told by the psalmist to sing morning and evening. What he's doing is telling us to bound the whole Sabbath day. That singing praise to God is not just something for one little slot of time, as it were, on the Sabbath, but it is for the whole of the day and the whole of life. We bound the day with Christian praise upon our lips and upon our hearts. It is good to begin the day singing to the Lord, and it is good to end the day with just the same, that there might be a sweetness from one end to the other and an encouragement to our souls as we go through all of the week. And in verse 2, we hear of God's blessing and mercy that comes to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. We don't just sing about things. We, We particularly in Christian worship sing about God and about His character, about His covenant faithfulness about his covenant love, that he keeps his covenant promises and he never fudges or lies to us. Have you watched any of the debates? I don't really care which party. You know, you might dip into it just a little bit. It's Very interesting. But always remember that general rule of thumb where uh, there's a fairly serious and a large number of politicians usually... You know that you're being lied to when they're moving their lips. Just be cautious. I'll never tell you who to vote for. But my father said he never voted for anybody. He only voted against people. (laughs) I'm having trouble finding somebody not to vote against. Uh, The point here is, is that we should give thanks to God for his covenant mercy For his faithfulness, he never lies to us, deceives us, tricks us. He doesn't promise one thing and deliver another. He's not like a politician. He is the sovereign, holy, righteous God. He is to us like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you can trust him. You can trust him life and heart, body and soul. And he will care for you. And we're told in verses 3 and 4 to sing with joy. To the music of the lute and the harp and melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Here we are told to sing for joy. And the musical accompaniment is to enable and aid and encourage singing on the one hand. And also to teach us that it is to be joyful and that we are to give praise to the Lord from the heart in the whole endeavor. Uh, Music is an area that that is very deep. It impacts us on very profound levels. Uh, The the tunes that we sang tonight and and the whole reason why I highlighted some of the uh, tune names or the tune authors or modifiers is to remind us that tunes are important. They, they either support and move and encourage the words or, or they obscure them or diminish them or twist their meaning. We do well to, to sing together to tunes that, that aid group singing and aid the, the grasping and the implementing in heart and life of the truth that is conveyed by the words. But remember... <clears throat> Remember there's great occasion for idolatry in everything. I have seen at different times in my life an idol made of almost every instrument that can be played and a one practice Ashville there where they record so many of uh, different kinds of musical tunes and have such great talent uh, I'm told that the fellows who come and play at Indelible Grace when they're recording those albums. Uh, As soon as they're over, they switch to another studio and they play for Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and others. We need to make sure that we recognize the importance of the inspired words and the meaning that is there and judge music by its ability to, to lift and to help convey that particular meaning therein. We give thanks to God that He has blessed us, well, some of us, with rhythm and tune and ability. And so many of us benefit from that as our hearts are encouraged to sing with joy in praise to the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord for His covenant love. Uh, Verses 5 to 9 speak of singing praise to the Lord for His surprising sovereignty. Verse 5 says, how great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Here God's works of creation and providence and in providence, particularly redemption, are being highlighted by the author in this psalm. God's works are what we should give thanks and praise to His name for all that He does. And His works in the covenant of grace are completely unexpected by what is referred to in verse 6 as the stupid man and the fool. Here is blunt talk, clear talk. There is stupidity and foolishness on every hand in the world. Those who deny that there is a God, who do not pay attention to Him or give Him thanks for what He has given, the works of creation and providence that He has done, every gift that we enjoy comes from His hands, and they deny it. And it's worse than that. In verse 7, we are told that they prosper. These stupid and foolish men, they prosper, they grow rapidly, they flourish, we are told. We expect to hear that kind of language about the sons of God, the sons and daughters of those who love the Lord and and seek to follow His Word and, and who suffer and sacrifice and fill up the suffering of Christ, we expect to hear that they are the ones who grow and flourish and fill all the earth. But God in His providence is sovereign. And in this fallen and broken world, until His Son comes back and sets all aright, part of His providential plan is that there will be enmity. There will be separation between the sons of God and the daughters of men there will be a separation from the two between the two. There will be a temporary prosperity of the wicked. When we wake up in the morning and open the paper and turn on the news and, and read our favorite web feed, we we need to recognize that the bad news that is there is part of God's sovereign plan. God's not shaken by a missile being launched by North Korea. He's not caught off guard by who does or does not win the New Hampshire or Iowa primary. He, he Himself is the sovereign Lord. And in His sovereignty He works and everything happens under His watchful care and profound providence. And you should expect the wicked to flourish. Flourish. You should expect evil to come. Do not be so naive as to think everything will be sweetness and light and peaches and cream. There are not just cherries and olives in this life. There are lots of pits. And we need to anticipate that and look to our Lord. Why should you say steadily reading His Word? Why should you endure in prayer even when you don't feel like it? Why should you come to church when you're tempted, perhaps on a lot of levels, not to? And you might think, well, does it really matter? Because that is how our Lord, strengthening you by giving you His Word read and preached and sung and prayed and seen, uniting you ever more closely to Jesus, in season and out of season, as it were, He prepares you to face those times of temptation and persecution, when the church is pushed back and feels as if she is against the wall, and when you in your life may feel just that way, don't forget that God, in His providence, intends this until His Son comes back. The world is getting worse even as God's blessings to His people increase and will ultimately triumph God is not undone. Quite the opposite. He is safe and established in, on high forever, we're told in verse 8. And His enemies shall perish. They shall be scattered. The Lord sits in the heavens and laughs, and He shows Himself, the powerful and sovereign God, even as they are cast into the lake of fire. God's enemies will indeed be defeated. And so we sing. We sing for covenant love. We sing for surprising sovereignty. And we sing for the redemption of the righteous that He provides. Verses 10 to 15 are the most fun part to sing. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Now that doesn't mean so much to us, but you know, in the day and the time, the comfort, the encouragement, the refreshing the strength and freedom of of the animal here referred to. It's power. This lets us know that God blesses His people with every spiritual blessing under heaven, that we become more like Him and like His Son, greater Christ-likeness as we are transformed into His image. His children, His children are more blessed than all of creation because indeed He blesses them in His Son. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 11, My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard of the doom of my evil assailants. You know, I don't know what the cutting edge news is. We we had all the world hanging over the weekend by a thread wondering what North Korea was going to do with their... Uh, satellite shot. Was it that? Was it going to be hurled at Japan? Was it really a bomb? What, what about striking America? Would, would we shoot it down? Or what would the Chinese do? All these things. And, and people were just sitting on the edge of their seat to hear the news. You know, I could pill Siri out right this moment and I could ask her, Siri, who's winning the Super Bowl? And the news would come our way. The point is that the psalmist is telling us that the news of the defeat of God's enemies will reach the ears of the righteous. Not righteous in themselves. We are but sinners. But righteous in Christ as we're united to Him by faith and by the Spirit. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. All of this image runs throughout the book of Psalms. And it flows from the very first of the Psalms. Who is the blessed man planted like a tree by the, by the rivers of water? It is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is because of Him that we are washed clean and declared righteous and have fellowship with God. Oh, to be more Christ-like is the whole purpose of the Christian life by His grace. The righteous prosper in Jesus. And they prosper not just for a little while when they first get saved or or first make a profession of faith. We are told they still bear fruit in old age. And the illustration continues. Full of sap and green. Many years ago, I had two elders on my session in Oak Ridge who were, were doctors. They were both radiologists, and uh, uh, they were quite a pair. And I remember after session meeting one day, I sort of complained. I said, You know, I'm, I don't know if this is normal. I'm having, I'm having trouble when I get out of bed. You know, I, I feel creaky, and, and my feet hurt on the floor, and, you know, it takes me a little while to kind of limber up. And they both broke out in laughter. They said, Pastor, you're 45, wait until you're 65. <laughs> the point here is, is that God's blessed ones, blessed in Christ, that they will prosper from one end of their life to another. Not just at the beginning, but also at the end. Uh, this morning, I went out in the North Ex, and at a certain point, I I did what I've, I've never done before. I, I sort of broke into the circle of young men that were gathered there, one around another. I broke in and I looked up at them, <laughs> and I said, "You know, when I was your age, my grandmother put a bowl on my head and cut my hair. But you fellas all have different kind of stylish haircuts. You have fine coiffures." And they looked at me suspiciously for using a foreign word. You grow old. And yet you grow old in Jesus. And the sweetness of His life courses through your veins better than your own blood does. To His praise and to His glory. And that's so that you can testify with the psalmist And declare that the Lord is upright, that He is your rock, and that there's no unrighteousness in Him. And you know when you sing about Jesus that way, what a Sabbath it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be like our Lord Jesus. Help us to live in Him and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.